0: would, go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word, and I need you to find a few different places tonight as we get started. We're going to jump around a little bit, but just because we jump around in the text doesn't mean that we're going to jump around in the truth of the whole message that God has for us tonight as He pieces it together through those different texts. So go ahead and find Matthew chapter 5 for me. That's where we're going to start out here in the next few moments. So go ahead and make your way to that passage. After you get that found, then I need you to go ahead and find Genesis chapter 13. After you find Genesis chapter 13, I need you to find Genesis chapter 19. And then after you find Genesis chapter 19, I need you to find Luke chapter 14. And then we're good. So go ahead and find your way there. I'm going to give you some time to find those places as we get started. Man, how good is it to be back in the house of God? tonight. I'm so thankful to be here. It brings to mind David's words in Psalm 122 when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So I pray tonight that God finds within his house a whole bunch of glad hearts that are ready to receive from his word tonight. I know it's behind us now, but I love the holiday season. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, the whole shebang. I love spending time with family I love getting away from work. Some, I know you guys like having a break from school. But if I'm being honest, I mainly love the holiday season for the food, right? I mean, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. But seriously, all the ham, the turkey, the sweet potatoes, the mashed potatoes, the mac and cheese, the deviled eggs, the casseroles, the pies. I'm just like, give me all of that. And so along those lines, it's going to be important that you know I'm a bit of a salt junkie. I put salt on anything and everything for the most part. And it it doesn't matter, you know, if it's been pre-salted or not because it usually still won't be enough for me. I just love to put salt on just about everything. So our family Christmas gathering comes around over the break. And we get together and I'm filling up my plate with a little bit of everything, including the hash brown casserole. And I want to just take a moment and say, you know, you've got the styrofoam plates because nobody wants to wash all those dishes, right? After the family comes, you've got the styrofoam plate, you're filling up your plate. If you don't get that loud crack and pop at some point in time, are you really filling your plate up the right way? I don't think so. Like, There's never been a time at a family gathering over the holidays that my plate didn't at some point in time make me think that it might actually break into with the amount of food that I put on there. It's kind of shameful to admit all this stuff to y'all especially considering what God's Word has to say about gluttony, right? But anyway, different topic. So I, I put some hash brown casserole on and I get back to my seat, and I proceed to, without tasting anything first, add my salt to everything. Well, what I didn't know was that the hash brown casserole had been quite adequate, adequately pre-salted this time. Now, I just added mine right on top of it. And when I took that first bite, I felt like the entire family could hear the crunch, and it was at this point I realized, I pretty much ruined this portion of my meal, this hash brown cake. It's like a scene out of Christmas Vacation, you know, when they're trying to eat the tough turkey, and it's like and they can't get it down, and the wife's over there, like, picking it up with her fork and looking around. Nobody's watching. She's flicking it off on the floor. So I had to dispose of that, go get some more, because I didn't bother to taste it first. It was impossible for me to consume. When I got home later that night, I was laying in bed just kind of reliving the day thinking about the memories that we had made with family, thinking about the laughs that we had shared and thinking about my oversalting incident and just laughing at myself for having done that when God brought a passage of scripture to mind. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Jesus, right after he has given his famous sermon on the mount and discussed the Beatitudes with those who were listening, says this, "'You are the salt of the earth.'" But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So to kick off a new semester, I want to speak from this thought tonight. Stay salty. Tell somebody sitting next to you, stay salty. Look at them and tell them, stay salty. I think 2020 made everybody a little bit of salty in some way or another. And we're talking about a different kind. Tonight, obviously, with what Jesus said, but as we enter into a new year, I don't want to stand here and talk about resolutions or ambitions or goals or personal desires. I don't want to sit here and talk about how 2020 was garbage and 2021 is going to be so much better and we're going to see progress made like we never have before because if you pay attention to the news whatsoever, obviously 2021 isn't off to a much better start than the year we just came out of. So I don't want to stand here and waste my time trying to tell you something that may or may not eventually come true because the only truth that I know that's absolute comes out of the book that is right in front of me tonight. And that's what I want to proclaim to you. From I want to pour on you what God has poured into me as his desire for us as his people moving forward and that's for us to stay salty. But how do we do that? What are the benefits even of a salty lifestyle? We're going to answer that but I think it's important that we address something else first. So look back in Matthew chapter 13 with me for a moment. And I want you to focus in on the second half of that verse. And then we're going to go over to Luke chapter 14 right after that. So the second half of that verse, Jesus, after saying we are the salt of the earth, says this, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So in the book of Luke in chapter 14... He records a similar instance in which Jesus was speaking the same thing. And in verse 34, Jesus says in Luke's gospel account, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the the chemical properties of salt never change. Now I think it's important for you to understand as we move forward, the chemical properties of salt never change. They are what they are. And so salt is always salt, no matter what. However, it is possible for salt to become so diluted that it becomes tasteless. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. If I put a teaspoon of salt in a drinking glass of water and hand that to you to drink, it's going to be pretty pungent. It's going to be pretty strong. Those of you that have ever had your wisdom teeth taken out, you can probably relate to this, right? Because you got to do the gargling with the whole salt water and it's nasty and it's like, ugh, I don't. That's just like one little teaspoon in a drinking glass of water. It's pretty stout. But if I was to take a teaspoon of salt and dump it into a five gallon drum of water and hand you a straw to drink out of, you would hardly even notice that it's present at all it would hardly change the taste of it whatsoever because the volume of water is exponentially greater so much to the point that it's diluted the saltiness of the salt. The salt's still salt. You following me? It's just been diluted to the point where you can hardly even notice its presence. It's become tasteless. We just saw that Jesus says as his disciples, what? We are the salt of the earth. We can never lose our saltiness. No more than we can lose our salvation. But Jesus makes it clear that as salt, we can become so diluted that we become tasteless. And I fear that one of the great tragedies of the church as believers in the modern day is the tragedy of tastelessness. We're in the world. We're not of the world. But I'm afraid we've become tasteless to the world. And so I want to talk for a moment about lost salt. Let's talk about lost salt for a minute. And we got to go to Genesis chapter 13 for this. How do we lose the pungency of our saltiness? And I think we find a great example in Genesis with a man named Lot and his family. And so let me give you a little bit of background about who Lot is. Lot is the nephew of a man named Abraham. Familiar with him? He's pretty well known in scripture. So Abraham, God called Abraham to leave his home and move to a place that he would show him. And in that process, Abraham took his family with him. That family including his nephew Lot and his family. And so Lot packed up and he left home and he traveled along with Abraham to the place that God was going to show them. And there comes a point where there had kind of been some disputes between Abraham's cattle farmers and Lot's cattle farmers because they had so much cattle between the two of them combined, it was kind of hard for them to not intermingle and dip over into each other's pastures. And so Abraham told Lot, hey, because we're kind of having these disputes Let's, let's separate. I'll go kind of over here. You go over this way. That way there won't be any more dispute between us. We're family. We don't need business coming in the way of all that. So let's just kind of give ourselves some extra space. So in Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 10, we pick up kind of on that separation. And we see where Lot goes in the process. It says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners, Against the Lord. So Lot and his family, they separated from Abraham and they settled near Sodom, which the Bible gives us a vivid description of how these people were. They were wicked, great sinners. And that's who Lot chose to settle himself and his family next to. But I want you to look at this rapid progression with me. War breaks out. I'm going to give you some context because we're going to jump forward into chapter 14, and look at verse 12 in a second. War breaks out in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the process of that happening, Lot gets kidnapped. But look at where he gets kidnapped at. In chapter 13, he laid out his tent in the vicinity of Sodom. But look at what has happened one chapter over in verse 12. It says, they also took Lot... The son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. So quickly, Lot went from living on the edge of Sodom to living in Sodom. Which, need I remind you, the God of all glory has just described in his word that these were wicked, sinful People, listen to me, if you camp close enough to sin, sooner or later, it will take you captive. I promise you, every single time. Lot isn't near the city anymore, he's in the city, and let me tell you, he's not impacting them, they're impacting him. And so many times I think we as believers kind of put it under this guise of, well, I'm going to get as close to sinfulness as I can because I'm the salt of the earth, right? I'm the light of the world. I'm going to make an impact on that place. And I think that's well-meaning, but it's mistaken. Light has no business with darkness. Righteousness has no business with unrighteousness. There is a time and a place to be light There is a time and a place to be salt. But it's not camping as close as you possibly can to wicked great sinners and where they dwell. And so what we see taking place is that Lot and his family's saltiness is being diluted. And by chapter 19, by chapter 19, it's all but gone. Flip over to chapter 19 with me. Because I need you to see some some bad, bad stuff. Chapter 19, verse 1 it says, Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. God sent these angels to destroy this city. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So let me catch you up. Lot gets kidnapped. Abraham finds out about it, plots this rescue mission to go and get Lot and his family. Rescues them, sets them back in freedom. This is how, let me tell you how gripping sin is. Sin is so gripping that after it takes you captive and you gain your freedom again, if you don't be careful, you'll find yourself sitting right back in the gate of it once more. Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he, he being Lot, pressed them strongly. Lot knows where he's at. He didn't want them staying that. See, you knew how wicked these people were. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. You get what I'm saying when I say that they may know them? They wanted to get to know them. They wanted to have homosexual intercourse with them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. He said, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Listen, when your salt gets diluted, you do some jacked up stuff. This man offers up his two daughters to appease the sexual appetites of these men in hopes that they will leave His visitors, the angels from the Lord, alone. And you wonder why the cross had to be so ugly. Lot says, let me bring them out to you and you can do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. He has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down, but the men reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the man said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? sons in law sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They thought he was joking. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I told you sin is gripping. These men have just warned him that God is going to rain down fire from heaven to destroy and consume this city, and Lot lingers? Man, this law of salt is a bad, bad issue. But even in that, look at the grace of God in this next part of the verse. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Man, God is so good. God is so gracious. God is so merciful. That when we get in a place that is so bad as his people, he will go to such great lengths as to physically grab us and drag us out of that place. Who's thankful in here tonight for the mercy and the grace of God on their life? And so Lot was able to escape with his family the angels told him once you leave don't you turn around and look back now I need you to go to verse 24 and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of what do you know salt a sober reminder of the very thing they should have been living as but had lost in the process here's what I want us to see our salt gets lost primarily in number one how we choose to separate when we choose to separate ourselves from God's word we lose our saltiness When we choose to separate ourselves from spending time in prayer, we lose saltiness. When we choose to separate ourselves from worship, we lose saltiness. When we choose to separate ourselves from God-honoring relationships, we lose saltiness. When we choose to separate ourselves from righteous, holy living and link ourselves to unrighteousness and unholiness, we begin to lose saltiness. But it's not just how we choose to separate. Remember, Lot separated from Abraham. But it's also in where we choose to settle. Lot chose to settle near Sodom because he and his family thought they could settle on the edge of sin and be fine. And so many times do we not think the same thing. And we allow ourselves to settle on the edge of sin. We allow ourselves to settle on the edge near something that we know we shouldn't be entertaining. Places that we shouldn't be in. People that we shouldn't necessarily be around in the places that they're in. Influences that we allow to enter into our lives that can push us into places and atmospheres and influences and thoughts that we don't need to be allowing to enter into our lives. When we choose to separate ourselves from God's Word, from prayer, from worship, from godly fellowship, from righteous living, when we settle in places and occupy atmospheres and entertain influences that are sinful and dishonoring to God, we lose saltiness, so much so to the point that we become deluded and tasteless to the world around us. And I'm not going to preach to you guys anything that God hasn't already brought me through. And so understand that me sitting here challenging you to diagnose whether or not you have lost your saltiness is the same thing I had to challenge myself with over the break. And if we were honest, I think some of us need to admit that we've lost our salt and we've become tasteless to the world around us. But the good news is it can be restored. Right? It's the title of the message, right? Stay salty. So the good news is we're not finishing up with lost salt. There is a way in which it can be restored. There is a way in which we, as God's people, can be the salt of the earth and stay salty with our lives. And it's got to happen like this. Go back over to Luke chapter 14 with me. This is where we're going to find the keys to how we stay salty in our lifestyles. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. So we read 34 earlier, which is kind of the conclusion of what Jesus has taught in the previous passage. So in verse, where are we at? In Verse 26 Jesus is teaching the crowds. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So the way in which we stay salty with our lives is to prioritize our love. You've got to prioritize your love. Jesus uses a graphic descriptive of the kind of love that we are to have for him. And no, he doesn't call us to literally hate our family. He does not call us to literally hate the loved ones that we have that are a part of our lives. The expression of hate here in this context means to love less. So Jesus says your love for me by comparison should be so fierce that it makes the love that you have for other people in your life appear as hatred. That's the kind of love we're to have for Jesus Christ. A love that is so fierce that by all accounts of everyone else around us looking into our lives, that looks like hatred in comparison to how we love Jesus. It shows that our love and affections need to be prioritized in a way that places Jesus at the top. Our problem is we allow too many things to contend with Jesus for the affections and the love of our hearts. Are you guilty of this? How many things are you allowing right now in your life to contend with Jesus for the affection of your heart? It might be academics. It might be sports. It might be a career, future, present. It might be recreational things. It might be hobbies that you like to participate in. It might be a boyfriend. It might be a girlfriend. It might be possessions. Which, by the way, let me tell you something about possessions. Possessions will always possess you. All these things that we allow to contend with Jesus for the affection of our heart, our fiercest love is to be reserved for Christ and Christ alone. And when we prioritize our love, placing Jesus at the top of it all, it helps us stay salty. People recognize it, they can begin to taste it, so to speak. There's no questioning its presence. In our lives, Listen, I would never want anyone to question whether or not I love my wife. If someone were to question whether or not I loved Ashley, I think that could be one of the most insulting things ever to our relationship. And I would hope that you guys would feel the same way one day. If God brings somebody into your life, if God brings a spouse into your life, I hope that you would never want somebody to walk up to you and question whether or not that you... Love your spouse. So why should it be any different as believers with our relationship with Jesus? I would never want anybody to question whether or not I as a man love my Savior. But if they can't see it as a priority, then we leave it open for questioning. Prioritize your love, and I promise you, you will stay salty. Jesus continues after verse 26. He says in verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so if you're going to stay soft, you've got to commit to follow. It's not just that you have to prioritize your love. It's that you have to commit to follow. Jesus calls us to love him above all else. We just saw that. But he also calls us to follow him at all costs. And I think we've got a pretty good grip on the loving him above all else kind of things, everybody seems to focus in on just that part. But when it comes to following him at all costs, that's where we seem to back away a little bit. Oh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is the love of my life. He is a top priority in all things that I do. Well, are you following him at all costs? Well, kind of. It's not a kind of. It can't be a kind. Jesus says it cannot be a kind of. There is no halfway commitment. If we're going to stay salty, we've got to commit to follow him in fullness. The moment that we stop following him in fullness, we start becoming deluded. While on this earth, Jesus never really liked a following. Have you ever noticed that? I'm talking about it in the sense of crowds following him wherever he went. Anytime Jesus went into a new town after word of him had spread and the things that he had done... He never had to beg and plead for a crowd to assemble. He just never had a problem gathering a following behind them. But many of them only followed out of curiosity and not commitment. And I'm not discouraging curiosity about Jesus. I think curiosity about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And a lot of people's lives begin the first steps of their faith towards him. So I'm not discouraging curiosity. Curiosity about Jesus. But at some point, curiosity must stop and commitment has to begin. Why do you think Jesus turns around to the crowds here in Luke 14 and says these things that we're reading? He was showing them at some point in time, all y'all's curiosity about who I am has to stop. And a commitment has to start. Jesus says, come after me. Come after me. It denotes an active pursuit. If we're going to stay salty, we must commit to an active, everyday, passionate pursuit of following him. After Jesus talks about counting the cost that comes with following him in verse 33... He finishes up with this before he goes into talking about salt being good, where we introduced this passage earlier in verse 33. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus calls us to renounce or give up everything for him. If we're going to stay salty, you've got to give up everything. Prioritize your love commit to follow him, and then give up everything. Listen to me, because I've thought this myself, and I think some of you may be thinking the same thing when you see a statement that Jesus makes like this. Is how, how can Jesus make such a request? How can Jesus speak something so bold in our lives? How can he make such a request? How can he make such an audacious request of us to give up everything in order to follow him? Well, let me just suggest that only he can. Only he can make such a request. Jesus is the only one worthy of giving everything up for. Because he's the only one who can give us everything we need. Therefore, he has the authority and the audacity to make such a statement to us. Give up everything, renounce everything for the sake of following me. Why? Because I'm the only one who's worth giving up everything for. And I'm the only one who can give you everything that you need. And I think everybody across the globe, whether or not they are born-again believers or not, would agree that having what you need is more important than having what you want. Because only Jesus can provide everything we need, he's worth giving everything up that I want for. And in so doing, giving up everything for Jesus produces what? It produces saltiness within our lives. Listen to me. As long as we as a people of God continue to hold on to the things in our lives that are counter to what God desires we will never be as salty as we could be. Never. So we have to get to a point where we begin to renounce all things to follow him so that our lives can be as salty as they possibly can be to the world around us. Jesus says that we're going to be the salt of the earth. And if you want to get down to just the basic simplicity of what he's saying in that, it's quite simply this. As the salt of the earth, we are to be impacting and influencing the world for good. Because that's what salt does. Salt impacts and influences for good. So here's how I want to finish up. I want you to see this with me. Hold on, hold on. We're almost to the end. I want you to see some... The benefits that come with salt so what we find with salt just in and of itself we're not talking about spiritual salt or anything I'm talking about basic salt I'm talking like Morton right out of the jug right now benefits of salt salt preserves and so back before we had freezers like we do now people would use salt to preserve their food and at the same time lock in some of the taste that came with it so salt was used as a preservative and it still is in a lot of ways today. Maybe you don't even realize it. But that's not the only benefit. Salt has healing benefits to it as well. And I'll give you an example of how most of you have probably seen this at work. How many of you have been to the beach before? You've been to the beach, you've been in the ocean. You ever gotten in with a cut before? God burns, doesn't it? Like as soon as you hit that water, wherever that cut is, it just, man, it's like a deep steam. On day one, that cut might be kind of bad. It might be kind of fresh. But after you've been at the beach for six, seven days, you've gotten in the ocean every day, what's happened over time? It's gotten better. That wound has begun to close because salt has natural healing benefits to it. But it also flavors. So it doesn't just preserve. It doesn't just have healing properties. It also flavors. It brings out flavor. That's why we put it on our food. That's why I like it. It brings out the flavors of the food I would try, but it also creates thirst. If you're a salt junkie like me, there's a reason why if you walk by my table at the restaurant, there's like four empty glasses to the side, because that salt's made me thirsty. You gotta have something to drink. Listen, we as salt, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. So we, as the salt of the earth, help to preserve souls through our testimony and our witness that comes through our sharing of the gospel to the lost world around us. We, as the salt of the earth, help bring healing. We're incapable of healing, but we help bring it about through being salt of the earth to broken and wounded hearts and lives. I can tell you testimony after testimony of broken and hurt souls that when they spent a legitimate amount of time with a true believer of Jesus that was being the salt of the earth that he or she was called to be how they began to bring healing in that person's life through their testimony of Christ. But we as salt also help add flavor. I told you I thought one of the greatest tragedies of the modern day church is that we're tasteless when we're being salt like we're called to be, we add flavor. Not just to your life, but to the lives of the people around you. People look at your life and they're like, man, I want, that tastes different. Something about their life tastes different. It tastes good. And in that process, it creates a thirst within them to have what we have to experience Jesus like we have. So when Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, that's his desire, that we do those things, that we preserve souls, that we help bring healing, that we add flavor to the lives of those that we come in contact with and we create a thirst in the world around us to have a desire for him. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.